You may be seated. A few months ago, a man asked me a very profound question. It was a man who I had never met before. He came into the church office here on a Thursday, and uh, he, he needed some help. And in our conversation, he, he was looking at me in a rather peculiar way. He was looking at me, started from my eyes, but then starting to look down to my feet up and down a couple times. And uh, as he made who I was, he wasn't very impressed. You see, I, I don't dress very well on weekdays. I, I am a typical youth pastor. I wear my Nikes, my jeans, a t-shirt, maybe a sweater if I feel like it. Um, but he, he, he saw that. He recognized that. And so... After we talked for just a little bit, he said, who's in charge around here? (laughs) He knew it wasn't me, and he was right. I was not in charge, and I certainly am not in charge. And this is a profound question, but a question that he asked that I think we all need to ask just as well. Who is in charge around here? You see, oftentimes when we consider this, or if we were to be asked this even this morning, some of us might say, well, the preacher, he's the one in charge. He's the one who's talking, and he's the one who we're, we're listening to, so obviously he's the one in charge. But uh, I'm here telling you this morning, I am not in charge, and, and that's a good thing, because I could no more remember to bring guacamole to a gathering than I can take care of all your own needs. So no, I'm not in charge. And so some of us might say, well, of course it's not just one pastor, but the elders, they're the ones in charge. To that, I would say the very same thing. We're just mere men, and we're going to fail you. And so if you're looking at us as if if the group of elders are in charge of the church and as if we have anything to give that is of any eternal significance, well, once again, you're going to be sorely disappointed when you come to find out that we are sinners, and we are not like God. And so once again, let us ask, who is in charge? Well, it is no mere man. And there's no group of men, but it is the God-man, Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been seeing time and time again as we've been going through Colossians, especially this glorious passage here in, in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. What we've seen is, is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of creation. That's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Paul put it this way. Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what we've been looking at is Jesus Christ as the Lord of creation, and that that he is. He is the Lord of all creation. All things belong to him. And so we might say that we're the head of our house, men, but truly, we are only stewards of what God has given us, for our houses don't even belong to us, and our families don't either, for all things, including our families, belong to him. And as such, he is Lord. And yet we look around and We see the creation that is broken and fractured, and we go, well, if he's Lord, then why are things the way that they are? Well, it's not the complex. You see, the creation, especially the crown of creation, humankind, you and I, we have mutinied against our captain, king, and creator. Psalm 2 puts it this way. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together, against the Lord 
and his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, kings don't like to take commands, not even from their creator. And it's not just kings, but we too are in the same situation. We do not like to be told what to do. Even kids demonstrate this at the youngest age. My daughter's hardly even past one. And even now I'll tell her, hey, honey, don't touch that. And yet all the same, she wants to to touch the outlet or pull things off the shelf onto her. And I say, don't do that because it's gonna hurt her. And yet she looks at me and smiles and nods her head no, because she knows not to. And as soon as I look away, she does the very thing which she knows she ought not to do. But it's not just kids. All of us do not like to be told what to do. When we're driving and we see the speed limit is, is 55, how many of us say, well, I'm gonna push it just a little bit and go 60? You see, we, we don't like to be told what to do. And this especially is true of creatures with relation to their creator. And so while it is true that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all creation, it is also true that he is not acknowledged by all creation as being Lord. Well, at least not yet. And so Christ, he's done something about this. What he's done is what we are seeing today as we break into the second half of this glorious hymn. He is making a new creation And this new creation will gladly submit to his authority. And that new creation is called the church. Paul puts it this way in verses 18 through 20. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is this glorious passage that talks about the new creation, the church, that is just the first fruits of all that which will be reconciled to him in the end. And so for this morning, we're gonna just focus on verse 18a. And in this verse, Paul clearly shows us who it is that is actually in charge of the church. Paul says this, that he is the head of the body, the church. And so what does it mean for Christ to be the head? Well, we we use similar language even today when we talk about a a dad being the head of the household. We say he's in charge, right? And we know the same thing. This this terminology comes from the the body that we actually have, that, that our bodies are controlled and commanded by our heads, And so it is, Christ is the head of the church and as such, he is the one who is in charge. We see this similar language used even by King David when he wrote, you delivered me from strife with the peoples. You have made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. And so right here, Paul, he's, or excuse me, uh, David, he's reflecting upon his stature, stature as a king, a ruler, one who has authority. And yet even David is not the supreme head of all, for even he himself acknowledges this of the Lord in First Chronicles. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, Forever and ever, yours, O Lord, 
is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So lest we think that David or any other man is the head above all, David sets the record straight. There is no man who is the head of all but God. And so understand what it means for Christ to be the head of the church. He is the one in charge. But it's not just that he's in charge of all creation, although that is true. Our focus this morning is that he is the head of the body, the church. And so what is meant then by the church? Well, we should understand what isn't meant is a building. Yeah, we call this building the church, and that can be right in a certain sense of the matter. This is Living Water Church. It's a location. We plug it into our GPSs, and yet that's not what Paul has in mind here. He's not talking about a building. In fact, he's not even talking about just the leaders of the church, such as elders or deacons or whatever else you might want to call them. But what he's talking about is a local, not just a local, but even a universal gathering and fellowship of believers, somewhat like what we have this morning. Those who profess Jesus Christ and believe in him and confess that he is Lord, that is what he's talking about here as he's talking about the church. And so if you're wondering, what do I have to do with this passage? Know that you are the body and Christ is your head. In fact, you are a member of the body with all the other members here in this building, but not just here today, but all the other members of of the church gathered all around the world, but not just today gathered around the world, but every single person who has ever believed in Christ, both past, present, and future. That's the church that Paul has in mind when he says that Christ is the head of the body the church. And this is good news, that he's the head, even for those of us who might not be fond of being under any kind of authority. And so for this morning, as we go through this text and consider what it means, I have three reasons why it is good news that Christ is the head of the body that is the church. And the first is this, as the head of the body, Christ is connected to the church. Picture this, and you don't have to picture it. You can just look in the mirror and see it. A head is vital to the body if it needs to be alive. It is entirely necessary for our body to function, that it actually be connected to our heads. And so with this picture in mind, we get a good idea of what it is like to be grafted into Christ as our head And just as much, we get a very good idea of what it is like if Christ is not our head. For a body without a head is just a corpse. Even a huge, strong body, perhaps a a large congregation that has the best organization and the best structures and, and massive power of people gathering together and even singing and hearing speeches, but without a head is nothing short of being the might of Samson when David was done with him. If the church does not have Christ as her head, then she is dead. And if we do not have Christ, then we are cut off from the very source of life. This is true of Adam and Eve when they sinned and they were cut off from God and they were cast outside of the garden. What came with it but death? Even Moses and Israel knew that entering into the promised land would not be a blessing if God did not go with them. 
And so too, you remember the scene when Jesus was teaching a hard teaching and his hard teaching caused many to turn away from him. But his disciples, they knew they ought not to go with the crowds. Jesus, he said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, we need Christ. We need to be connected to him, to abide with him. For apart from him, we are still dead in our sins. And so let us just consider a few of the effects of being connected to this head And it might not seem positive at first, but I promise you it will be positive. The first effect of being connected to Christ is we will be like him, which means we will be persecuted with him. John 15, that wonderful chapter about being connected to Christ, the way a vine and a branch are connected for life. John, Jesus says this in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it ever hated you. So even in our suffering and persecution for righteousness' sake, we can know that we are blessed because we are hated along with our king who has already been rejected by the world. And know that if we are connected to him and we are persecuted, then what Jesus says to Paul is true of all of us. In Acts 9, when when Christ revealed himself to Paul, that was Saul at the time, Jesus, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And understand at this point, Jesus was already risen and ascended at the right hand of the Father and who he was persecuting was the church. But when we are connected to Christ, our suffering and even our persecution is is joined together with him. So one effect of being connected to Christ is we will be persecuted, but, but make no mistake, the benefits far outweigh that which might happen to us. For in him, we will have every provision that we need. This is why even when we're we're taught how to pray from Jesus, he says, you don't even need to ask. He knows what you need before you ask. Why? Because again, we are one with Christ. The way we know our, our, our stomachs are hungry before they even begin gurgling and growling at us, so too we can know that Christ knows our needs before we even ask. Paul put it this way, and he's going to say this in Colossians 2.19 in the months ahead. He says this, that we ought to hold fast to the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments and grows with the growth that is from God. And so understand that if we are disconnected from Christ, we will not grow and we will not be nourished. And so all the more we ought to hold fast to the head and not look to any other as that source of life than Jesus Christ. Again, in in John 15, when he's talking about abiding in him, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Again, this is the blessing of being connected to Christ. We talk to our father and we talk to him. We are a part of Christ's body. And so we can actually pray in Jesus' name. And furthermore, and I will only tease on this ever so slightly because this is gonna be packed even further next week, what happened to Christ in his death and resurrection will happen to us as well because we are connected to him. So understand, church, we need to be connected to Christ 
in the way a body must be connected to its head if it wishes to live. For the head is the very source of life and nourishment. And a church that is cut off from Christ, well, that's no church at all. But if the relationship between the body and the head is something that we still don't like to think about in the way of Christ having his rule and authority over us, we need to understand rightly what kind of ruler he is. He's not some distant ruler, some tyrannical king who wishes to give us heavy commands that we cannot bear. Yes, we are connected to Christ, and as such, we should see this. As the head of the body, Christ, he cares for the church. Again, I want us to picture a head as it is bound to its body. This is not the picture of some king up in his throne with the peasants down below that he doesn't care about whether they're fed or whether they starve. No, our, our heads do not treat our own bodies this way. Consider even now the relationship of the head with the foot. I love my foot. And I want to keep my foot. And I want to care for my foot. In fact, my head is not going to command my foot to kick a brick wall. It's going to tell my foot to do what is good for the foot and good for the whole body. In fact, I was even asked a silly question just the other day. It's, actually, it's a fun question. It's one of those would you rather questions. And so because I'm a youth pastor, I get away with this. Would you rather lose your thumb or your finger? Index finger, especially. Well, my answer is I would rather keep both because I love them both. It's a part of the body and I want to keep them in good condition. And so I'm not going to run it through a table saw or whack it with a hammer. I love my body and so do you. And that helps us understand what it's like for Christ to care for his church. We are members with his body. And he loves us, every single one of us, even, even though the lowest of us, if there was ever such thing, for we are members of Christ. Consider all the ways that we care for our bodies. Ladies, you get pedicures, you paint your toenails, and you spend good money on it too, I bet. You love your feet. And men, we eat delicious and expensive steak dinners, and we don't feel sorry about it. Why? Because we love our bodies. And we're even told to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And wishing to justify ourselves, we might try to say, well, who's my neighbor? But we don't need to ask who ourself is. And we don't even need to ask how we love ourselves. We do that automatically without even being commanded. And so we get this certain idea of what it is like for Christ to love his body. But Paul, he paints another picture in Ephesians 5 about Christ's love for the church, and he compares it to a husband and a wife who are also one flesh. Listen to Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Here it is, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And so husbands, if you do not love your wives, it's owing to the fact that you hate your own flesh. That's what Paul's saying right here. And even marriage, even the best marriage, it is marred by sin. 
But nonetheless, we can see a godly marriage and in the relationship between a husband who loves his wife, we just get a glimpse and a shadow of the love and care that Christ has for us, his church. For we are members of his body in the same way that a wife is members with her husband. And yet the clear image, not even marriage, is what Christ has done for his church to demonstrate his care and how has he done this but through the cross? You want to know how much Jesus loves his body, the church? Well, know this. He tore, let his body be broken so that we, his body, could have life and healing through his wounds. Oh, what a clear image of Christ's love for the church. And it gets no clearer in that. So make no mistake, brothers, sisters, Christ, he cares for you. Every single one of you, from the least to the greatest, if there ever was one, he loves his entire body. And since we are one body, all united together with Christ, so too we ought to love one another. This is why the greatest commandment doesn't even stand by itself. It's not just simply that we love God. But he says the second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Once again, we love God best when the body loves and cares for one another. Paul, he picks up on this in, in 1 Corinthians 12. He says that there be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And we understand this, don't we? And again, the body, if the pinky toe is stubbed, the whole body is screaming in pain. And even if we enjoy a delicious bite of ice cream, the whole body rejoices. And so too, even among us, if one of us are in pain and suffering, we as a body, we, we weep with those who weep. And if there is one who is doing well and, and has reason to rejoice, then as a body, once again, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And so if we who are evil know how to care for our bodies, then how much more does Christ know how to care for his, the church, which he has purchased with his own blood? As the head of the church, Christ, he loves his body. And so too, the body will naturally love its head and all the commandments that come from the head as well. Which leads us to the, the third point I wanna, I wanna focus on. As the head of the body, Christ, he commands the church. And again, this leads us full circle back to where we started. Who's in charge around here? The one who gives the commands. It's the one who's leading us, the one who's directing us, the one who gives us words by which we are to obey and so let us consider again this image of the body in relation to the head. Does the hand command the eyes to see? Or does even the mouth command the foot to move? Absolutely not. But all the functions of the body and all the things that we do happen because the head sends the commands to each member. And so it is, each and every one of us, we are under the command of Christ if we are a part of the church that is Christ's body. Every single one of us ought to hear his commands and we ought to do them. 
And yet some of us are still probably a little bit dodgy thinking, well, that means I'm under someone. I don't have freedom. I'm under someone's authority. And yet you should know that you have always been under the authority of someone. If not Christ, you are under the domain of Satan. Ephesians 2, Paul says this, you were dead in the trespasses of sins. Notice this, that when you were cut off from Christ, you are dead in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, and the spirit of the, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and were by mind and nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so if you wish to be free, know this, you are not free if you are not in Christ. In fact, Jesus, he says it this way, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so if we think freedom, ultimate freedom is what we should have, and if we think we can somehow obtain this freedom by rebelling against God and his anointed one the way the kings did in Psalm 2, well, then we're fools to think that we're free at all. For we are slaves to sin and our king, who isn't my king, but maybe the king of the world, he is leading to you to your certain death. And so we see in comparison between the ruler of this world and Christ, one is benevolent and kind, and the other is cruel. And so we ought to all the more gladly cling to Christ, who is our head, who gives us every command that is good for life. And so then how then should we regard Christ's commandments? Duty? Or do we consider his commandments and, and do them with delight? Well, again, my hand has no problem doing what the head says to do. And so to any member of Christ will do the will of God with full delight, knowing that it is good and right and pleasing to him, and not only for him, but also for our good. And so if we do just the commandments of God with duty, know this, we are nothing different from the Pharisees who had dead religion. Jesus, he reserved his hardest words for those Pharisees. He said they're like whitewashed tombs, all clean on the outside, but on the inside they are full of every unclean thing. And so too, if we only do the law by duty without delighting in it, then we are still rebels against God and Christ, who is the head of the church. So we ought to delight in the commandments of God. Listen to the Psalm 1 man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I want to point out what the psalm, psalmist doesn't say. The blessed man is not the man who merely meditates day and night, but he delights in the law of the Lord, and that delight causes him to meditate on the word day and night. And so what does this delight look like? One of my favorites is Psalm 19. And speaking about the commandments of God and the laws of the Lord, he says, they are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. If you want to know what it's like to delight in the law of the Lord, then 
than just simply look at the way a person desires money. If you want to know what it's like to to delight in the law of the Lord, then look at a person who has savored a sweet snack. And if you know what it's like to to desire money and to, to enjoy honey, then you get a good idea of what it's like to delight in the law of the Lord, to enjoy it, to rejoice in it, to desire it, to long for it. And yet here's the tension. We still live in this body of death, as Paul calls it. And so be encouraged, even if you delight in the Lord, but you still sin, you are not alone. Paul, he says this, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So if you feel that tension between wanting to do what is right but still doing what is wrong and evil and you know it to be wrong and you hate the sin, know this. Our God, he is faithful and just to forgive us if we confess our sins. And even now, he loves us. Though we are not perfect, we were never perfect even when he sent his son to die for us. And so if you feel just the weight of sin coming down on you, know this, simply look to Jesus Christ and believe on him and you will be saved. And as you do, you will begin to be made new, delighting in the law of God as he takes away the heart of stone and puts in you a heart of flesh where the law of God is written upon. But what if we don't like his commandments? Well, I'm gonna suggest something that some of us may not like. If we grumble against the commandments of God, well, then he is in our head, is he? If we do not like the commandments he's given to us, well, then we're not really a part of the body, are we? And if we aren't a part of the church, then we are still dead in our sins. And so what we need is to be made new. What we need is God to breathe his breath of life into us so that the things we once hated would become wonderful and sweet and desired to us. So may God do that here and now among us. So let me conclude with how I began. Who's in charge? Well, it's not me, nor any other man, and that is certainly a good thing, isn't it? Because we men are inconsistent. Peter demonstrated this to be true at one moment confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the very doctrine by which the church has been founded upon, and yet just a, a few moments later, he's, he's saying something that Jesus would rebuke and say, Satan, get behind me. So if anyone wants to make Peter the Pope, the head of the church, well, they are certainly wrong. Man, they are unreliable. They are still sinners, even Peter, once again, professing his allegiance to Jesus insofar that he would be willing to die only then in that hour to deny Jesus three times. Oh, don't look to any man as the head of the church. We are fickle, flaky, unreliable sinners who will disappoint you, and we certainly will not give you life. And so then what should we make of these popes and or pastors? Well, let me say, the pope reject it. Those who wish to put themselves in the position of a head of the church is no godly man at all. 
And even if he doesn't call himself the Pope, any pastor who acts like the Pope, once again, does not rightly see fit that it is Christ who is the head of the church and not man. And so if we wish to put these pastors and elevate them onto this pedestal, know that you are making the church into something that is foul and awful. Spurgeon noted that if the church has multiple heads, then what you have is no longer the church, the body of Christ, but instead what you have is the three-headed hound of hell. So then what should we make of pastors? Are they all evil? Well, of course not, for even Christ, the head of the church, has given pastors and elders and shepherds among us for our good. Sure, we all have opinions. I've got my own, and sometimes and most of the time, they're just my own opinions. But listen to them only insofar as they stay true to the word of God. For the word of God that we preach is not the words of men, but the word of God that we preach is the word that comes from Christ, who is the word incarnate. He is the one who is the head of the church, and as we hear his word, we hear Christ. But as to how you should regard a faithful pastor, you should see him merely as one of the the many shepherds that Christ has appointed to serve his church underneath the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Or as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, you should just simply see us as laborers in Christ's field. Nothing more and nothing less, but the field, the church, the body belongs to Christ. So let me caution us all about looking for another head with these words that come from 1 Samuel. Then all the elders of Israel, they gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Let us be careful what we ask for and let us be careful who we put in charge for men are not in charge of the church, but Christ is. And this is a good thing as well for when Peter died, the head of the church was not cut off. When Paul went to Rome and left the Ephesians, that church did not die because no man, no apostle, no pastor is the head of the church. No, the elders even here at Living Water Church are simply a group of men who want to be faithful, but we in no way are the head of the church, which means that your life in Christ, it does not rise and fall with the rise and fall of your pastors, but instead your life in Christ is secure because when Christ, the head of the church, was killed and when he was cut off, he did not stay dead. And so he, church, is your head. Look to him and believe on him, for he is your creator, your redeemer, and as such, he and he alone is Lord. So it's a good thing to have Christ in charge of the church, amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have redeemed us from the pit. You have grafted us into this stump 
and you have made us a part of Christ, for which, Lord, we thank you and praise you and worship you. Lord, forgive us for the times when we so quickly laud men into the position of, of the head when Christ alone is the head. Forgive us for thinking more of men than we ought to think them. But Lord, may our affections be given to Christ and may all glory go to Christ. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And let's stand together and sing.